Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. I'd like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and join me in turning to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going to be, and uh, I'm so grateful to be here with you tonight. I've made some new friends. I've been reacquainted with some older friends. It's good to see Pastor Doug and Joanne McMains. Pastor Doug taught me in elementary school, was my junior high youth pastor. He tormented me for years. The tables are beginning to turn, and it was good to see him uh, tonight. And then uh, Pastor Sammy, uh, where did he go? Yeah, and uh, I I knew him many years ago, not well, but we went to the same church many years ago, and you'll have to forgive me for this, I was shocked something beautiful would come out of you, but that song was awesome tonight. And uh, you know, some people can sing and can't communicate, he can do both, and man, you spoke that song right into my heart, and I'm glad for that. I want to start by telling you just a quick story. As your pastor said, about 23 years ago, my wife and I were led of the Lord to start a church. We went to a city, we didn't know one person, and uh, we just got started. I had a little money we'd set aside to buy a house, and we felt led of the Lord to use that as the money to start the church. And when that money ran out, we had two cars. We sold one of our cars and used that money to keep going. And when we were about six or eight months in, I remember before a Thursday evening Bible study, my wife came to me and she said, "Uh, Stephen, we have no... She calls me Stephen when I'm in trouble, by the way, okay? We have no food in the house. And I said, well, we'll take care of that later. It's fine. She said, and we have no money. Man, how many of you have heard no money? And you know, that doesn't mean no money. That just means we're getting low on money. And she said, we have no money. Sure enough, I checked. We had less than $10 in our checking account. We had no food in the house. And as a man, I felt about that big. And I was supposed to stand up in front of the few people that were going to come to Bible study, being held in our home that night, try and be an encouragement to them. And in the back of my mind, I just thought, what are we going to do? And a little discouragement could possibly creep in in a moment like that. But I thought, all right, I'm going to power through, and I'm just going to see what the Lord will do from this. And uh, I want you to know that when that service was over, a car pulled in our driveway that left from this parking lot. And it was jam-packed with groceries. The trunk was full. The back seat was full. There was a box of microwave popcorn on the front seat. And I don't know how many of you would have even been here those years ago, but I want you to know that's the spirit that has made this church so special for so long. And I want to thank you for loving God and loving people. And we're a church that seeks to do that. And a lot of the example we received over the years has come from people just like you who are just faithful. Thank you for when your pastor has an idea, being the kind of people that will say, let's show up and eat some barbecue sandwiches and have a church service on a Tuesday night. That's the way to do it. And the Lord will honor you for that. And pastor, thank you so much for letting me come. Uh, Man, the campus looks great, and uh, I'm just so grateful to see what God is doing here. Hopefully, he'll do something here in the next few minutes tonight. Can I get an amen? All right. Well, your Bibles are probably open at this time to 2 Kings chapter 5, and and we're going to consider a man in the Old Testament tonight who encountered a moment where he thought, man, it's over. However you might define that, you've encountered moments like that. Some of you encountered moments like that even in this very day. A moment where he thought, that's it, I'm forever limited, life will never be the same, all I hoped for will never come to fruition because of what it is I've experienced. He, he was, as we'll see, a very successful man. He was a powerful man. He was a prominent man in leadership. He was a wealthy man. But he had a problem that led him to conclude 
It's never going to be as good as it could have been. It's over. You see, this man was diagnosed with a horrible disease in this time of leprosy. But in the course of dealing with what he perceived to be the ultimate defeat, he learned that God can bring victory to our lives even at times like that. He learned that were it not for the needs we have in life, we would never come to understand how great our God is to provide for that which we need in the moment of our need. And uh, I love this text we're going to study tonight because there's something for all of us. Uh, This is a message I need to hear preached to myself tonight, and so I'll get to listen as I speak it. But I'm talking to people tonight that live in a real world in the midst of this time in which we're living, all that's going on, there need to be some people of God who know the message that God has for us from this great text of Scripture. I don't know your tradition here, but if you'll help me tonight, uh, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing, if you're able, out of respect for reading of God's Word this evening. If you do that, that'd be great. If you're able, 2 Kings chapter 5, if you're glad to be in church, say amen. Amen. If you're glad for barbecue sandwiches, say amen. Amen. It was a bigger one the second time, I think, all right, but that's okay. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. I want you to think of all the superlatives used in that verse to tell us about Naaman. What an incredible person he was. and It's kind of all erased at the end when it says, yeah, but let me tell you what else is about him. He, he was a leper. The Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said unto her mistress, would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, thus and thus, said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter He rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel." So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. His servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down 
dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. I want you to take note of the words in the midst there, verse 15, where Naaman, as he came through this experience in his life, he was able to say at the end of it, now I know. Now I know. I I did not know heading in. But because of that through which I've gone, now I know. Our Father, we're grateful to open a word that you've inspired a word that you have faithfully preserved for us and a word that by your grace you can reveal by your spirit. Lord, I pray that as we gather together in this room uh, that you would help us as we come around your word to not only read the word but let things be turned around so that it may read us. God, may you put your finger on the area in our life of greatest need. May you help us. Draw us to yourself tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. No, for you it would not have been leprosy, but we've all had those moments where the news came in and the news was bad news the way we see it. Maybe it was the email in your inbox as you were starting a day. Maybe it was the conversation you hoped you would never have to have. Maybe it was the letter that you opened and it seemed to change everything. Maybe it was the slip you got at work and it happened to be pink. Maybe it's the differences you're having in your marriage and you're beginning to wonder, are these irreconcilable differences? We all had these times, these moments, these occasions, and these seasons where we're confronted with adversity and challenges and hardship, and and we can conclude, is this the end? Are things over here and now? Naaman would have been as down as any man could possibly be because, you see, he knew when it came to leprosy, there was no remedy, there was no treatment. As far as he knew, in that situation, there was no hope whatsoever. It was over. As far as all of his dreams for the future, it was all over, but The Bible introduces to us earlier in this text a a girl. It's just, the Bible just says a little maid. In Naaman's Syrian household, there was a little Jewish girl brought there as a captive. And as she's serving Naaman's wife, she hears what's going on in Naaman's life. and, And the Bible tells us that she just spoke up and said what was on her mind. It doesn't say anyone asked her what she thought, but she just said, I'm going to speak anyhow. Man, how many of you have a wife who does that from time to time? Nobody asked. She's going to say it, all right? I've got a wife like that. And this little girl, she heard what was going on. Nobody asked her, what do you think about this? But she said, I'm going to speak up right here, right now. I'm going to say what's on my mind. She said, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of leprosy. Well, as often is the case, when statements like that are made, it grew legs and it began to make its way around the house and throughout the kingdom. And and in time, we know it made its way to the ears of the king of Syria. And and the king did not want to lose Naaman. Naaman was a good man. And so he sent Naaman with a huge sum of money to Israel to seek for a cure. Now, just so there's no tension for the duration of our time together tonight, I'll let you know the end of the story is we read together, Naaman gets cured. His life is changed. In fact, the Bible says of his skin that it was like unto the flesh of a little child by the time this story is all done. It was an amazing turn of events where God saved this man, listen, not only from dying, but he saved this man from the horror of living an empty life that didn't matter at all. God intervened in the situation and it changed absolutely everything. And so as we consider how this unfolded, there are some powerful lessons, incredible lessons here. 
Whether tonight your issue is massive or not, or, or whether you're in the midst of something at this moment that you think is manageable, at least at this time, what we find in this passage is a very clear roadmap that will lead any of us who follow it to victory. So as we look to God's word tonight, here's the first element we'll consider in our study. Number one, we must be candid about that which is covered. We must be candid about that which is covered. If your Bibles are open, let's go back to verse one and we'll work our way through. In verse 1, the Bible said, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable. Because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, he was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Now, Naaman had done very well for himself. Had, had we known Naaman, we would have thought he, he's done great. I mean, he's checked all the boxes. He's doing well. He was an asset to the kingdom. He was a leader in the military. He was a powerful warrior. And as I've already said, he would have been a man who was incredibly rich. Every need he had in his life, someone would have readily said, hey, we've got you covered. We've got you covered. Beyond that, we can tell by the he took 10 changes of garments or raiment with him on this trip. He was a man who was uh, really interested in image. That would have been very, very important to him. Uh, near our church, there are some Marines nearby, and they'll come. And one thing I've noticed, it doesn't matter if they're just brand new in the Marine Corps or, or if they have two stars. Uh, they're a, a major general, as, as one man that came to our church was. One thing they all have in common is this. They love the way they look in that uniform. They love that it means they're a part of something bigger than themselves. They, they love that it means that they're a part of the few and the, and the brave, and, and they appreciate that so much. Well, I want you to imagine this. Naaman was a man who would have had a uniform unlike anyone else in the kingdom. When he walked in a room, people would have stopped. They would have looked. They would have admired. They would have appreciated. They would have respected what he wore, what covered him. It made a statement that he wanted other people to hear about himself. But at the end of the day, that covering would have to come off. He'd come home and he'd make his way to his bedroom and he'd take out his wallet and his keys and set it on the dresser and he'd walk into the walk-in closet. And that beautiful, ornate robe that, that just got him all kinds of respect in life would have to be taken off. And as he uncovered himself, it would have exposed or revealed the problem of leprosy that he was dealing with, a problem that would have consumed his life. And I found that we can all be a little bit like Naaman in this regard. We all have the capacity in life when we go through things and we deal with adversity to just try and cover it up, to put on the good face, to put on a show so that when others see us, we're hoping that they're seeing what it was we're attempting to portray. We're experts at hiding from others when we feel as though we don't have it all together. We're covering up. But friends, at the end of the day, a breakthrough in our lives can never come in those areas of need unless we're candid about that which we're covering. Those things that we want to hide in private, they have a way of working their way out into the public in time. That's why God in Numbers 32 said, be sure your sin will find you out. That's why in Galatians 6 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul said, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You see those areas we cover up, they have a way of coming out eventually anyhow. That's the way that works. Hiding is a poor solution. Maybe you're here tonight and you're going through something. Listen, uh, hiding is not a good way to access victory. Now, I'm not advocating tonight that we all hang our dirty laundry in front of Grand Central Station, but I want to be clear that if we don't come to this place where we acknowledge a battle, we can't gain victory in the battle. And God has placed people in your life that love you and care for you. 
There are people, maybe they're called small group leader or connection group leader, whatever you call them here. Maybe it's an older brother and sister in Christ, someone who has a concern for your life. And it's so important for us to know that support and encouragement and help is available, but it'll never come if we all want to portray in these seasons of life as though there's no problem at all. James, the younger brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus, said this. He said, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Sometimes we go through times in our life where we need healing of all different sorts. But we don't want to confess our faults one to another. Oh, we want to know the power of that fervent, effectual prayer. We want to know the power of a God that can heal. We want to know of a God that can intervene into the affairs of our life and, and make things new that we think have no life at all. But it all begins with someone who's willing to be candid about that which is covered. Sometimes God will place people in your life that you've never met. Maybe it'll be someone you've known for years. Sometimes it'll be a spouse. But when we open up to others with what it is we're going through, that's where God has built in this apparatus of brothers and sisters coming along beside us to help us. 23 years of ministry where we are, I said that a moment ago, and God's been so good and so faithful. And uh, I'm just grateful the Lord lets me do what it is I get to do. I, I love being a pastor. I love being in ministry. Probably not a shock, Pastor, maybe most of all, or least of all for you. In the span of 23 years, there have been a few bumps in the road, you know. Now, I remember a season several years back where we'd gone through some things. I'll spare you all the backstory. It's not that interesting, only to me. I realize not to anybody else. But we went through a lot, and, and I, I came to a, a point in life where I was just absolutely exhausted. I'd had some disappointments, and I kind of had a mindset. As stupid as this is, I know I'll, I'll spare you from having to tell me how dumb this is. I'll tell you up front. I thought, well, I'm going to put this church of ours right on my back, and I'm going to forge it forward. You know, the problem with that is Jesus never said, I'll build your church. He also never said, you'll build my church. He said, I'll build my church. And, and so I was trying to do more than God had intended me to do and dealing with some disappointments. And we had some heartache going on in our family at that time. And, and, and I came through a season where it was like, man, all the joy was gone and everything in life was difficult. Nothing in life seemed to fill me up. Every conversation was a dream. People would say, hey, pastor, do you have a minute? And I think, why do you say a minute? It's never a minute. It's going to be more like 20 minutes, you know. And, and literally, I'd, I'd walk to the pulpit on a Sunday morning, and I'd peek around the corner. There's always those few people that want to share with me all the bad news right before I get to the pulpit. And I thought, I can't do that today. And, and something was wrong in my heart. I was going through motions, but on the inside, I knew something's happened here. I remember I had an appointment during that season to go to the East Coast. And uh, my wife wanted to go. She loves to watch Murder, She Wrote. And she wanted to go to Kenny Bunkport to see where they filmed the opening song for Murder, She Wrote. And I said, all right, we can do that. We were on the plane. And uh, I just started talking. I had no intention. I had no plan of sharing any of it. But I just began to share with her what I was going through and how I'd been feeling for months. And my wife said to me, she said, Steve, I had no idea. And when she said that, I was so incredibly shocked at my heightened capacity to live a lie. Yeah. The person that knows me better than anyone else on this planet, this, this woman who loves me so much, she, she had no idea what I was going through, and that wasn't her fault. It's because I was trying to remain covered. I had to learn that what I keep covered keeps me conquered. It's worth noting that this happened to a man in the Bible that the Bible tells us he was a great man, an honorable man, a mighty man. Did you know that sometimes our strengths in life become cover for areas of need in our life? 
We could take all those attributes used of Naaman and say, well, man, he had, he had a lot of good things going on. Yeah, that did not negate the reality that he had some areas he was covering up. What we think are our assets can become our greatest deterrence to the alterations that God wants to make in our lives. Victory begins, friends, when we get candid about that which we've covered. We see that in Naaman's life clearly. Here's the second element we'll consider tonight. Number two, if you're still with me, say amen. We must eliminate all of our expectations. We must eliminate all of our expectations. Now, when, when Naaman finally made it uh, from the king of Israel's palace to the prophet Elisha's house, he was given a command. It was not at all what he expected. And in fact, the Bible tells us Elisha didn't even come out to see him. So here's Naaman, this guy. He's large and in charge. He's hostile, mobile, and agile. He shows up at the prophet's house. The prophet doesn't even come out to say hi. All right, this is like the opposite of church visitation. He went to the pastor's house, and the pastor wouldn't even come out. And, and that would have aggravated him. I've known a few power people in my life, and typically they, they like those that bow down to them, you know. And, and this, this prophet would not even come out, and, and I'm sure that would have aggravated him. The, the command that he received, however, was pretty simple and straightforward. In verse 10 of our text, he was told, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and, thus shall, uh, and thou shalt be clean. He was told, Just go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times. And, and when he heard that, he would have been like, wait, what? You want me to go where? The Jordan River? Several years ago, my wife and I went to Israel. We had a great trip. Oh, man, we landed at the airport, went to Tel Aviv. We were so excited. The next day, we went a little north and east to go to Capernaum. And as we're driving to Capernaum, I'm taking it all in in my mind's eye. I'm watching Jesus walk around. And, and it was an incredible, incredible trip. And, and I remember as we're, as we're there, I was in the front of the little van we were in. And there was a tour guide up front. And uh, we went over, it looked like an irrigation ditch to me. And the tour guide said, that was the Jordan River. I've never been more disappointed in my life. <laughs> You're kidding me. I've heard all about this river. That was it. That's horrible. I mean, I've seen the Mississippi, the Colorado River. I mean, I've seen a lot of great rivers. The Jordan River was not one of them. Now, granted, uh, they'd had some dry spells, and there are more people drinking that water now, and, and uh, they hadn't had much snow on Mount Hermon that provides the Jordan River and all of these things, but it just looked like a little, a little uh, muddy river to me, not much at all, and apparently Naaman thought about the same thing. He, he was told to dip in the Jordan River seven times, and, and he was not happy about that. In fact, the Bible tells us that uh, he was wrath, and then it says he was angry, makes it clear he was not pleased with what he was told to do. In fact, in verse 11, the Bible says, but Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought, I'm going to read on. Man, that's a big problem in our lives. Disappointments, basically our expectations not being met. Bitterness comes out of disappointment. And here's Naaman. He's saying, well, well I thought Listen to what he thought. I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. I don't know that they had religious TV back in the day, but I think they might have. Naaman might have watched it. He said, this is not at all what I expected. I, I thought he would come and he would stand. I don't even know what that means, but he'd stand and, and he'd say something amazing and, and he'd strike me with his hand and, and in some miraculous, supernatural fashion, I would be healed. I've already seen it all in my mind's eye. That's not what happened at all. Naaman had it all figured out in his mind. Big ceremony, dramatic fashion. That was not how it was going to go for him. Perhaps it had gone that way for someone else, and, and he'd heard of that. That's not how it was going to go for him, and he had to learn that. So in the end of verse 12, the Bible says, so he, he turned and 
went away in a rage. And were it not for servants who went and encouraged him, hey, come on, you can do this, Naaman. You can, if he'd asked you to do some big thing, you'd have done that. This is easy. You can do this. Listen, friends, his calculations almost kept him from a cure. And I wonder how many times in my Christian life, my calculations of how I think it should go, when my expectations aren't met, it keeps me from that which God would have for me. Verse 14, I think, is a key verse in this passage. We read, Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. I, I love that. The man of God spoke the word of God. He obeyed that which God gave him through the man of God. And the Bible says, Then went he down and dipped himself. We're, we're reading about a man that totally gave himself over to a process that he never imagined. He came to the point in his life where he said, All right, I'm going to eliminate my expectations. God has spoken through his man. The word of God's been given. And the Bible emphasizes here, He went down. That may have been good enough. And then the Bible says he dipped himself. The Bible's saying here, get the whole picture. This guy that wasn't willing to do that at all, when he really evaluated what was going on here, and he came to the place he was willing to set aside his expectations, he went down to that dirty Jordan River that was inferior to the rivers in his homeland, and he completely dipped himself seven times. He had a mindset, a heart, an attitude that said, I will do whatever it takes, whatever God requires, I'll make that my expectation." I think when God in his grace told his children how to recover when they were going to think it's all over. In Deuteronomy 30, the Bible says, And shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I commanded thee this day, thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul. He said, I want you to come back to me with all your heart and soul. I think it's important for us as Christians from time to time to have a spiritual gut check, to make a determination are we heart and soul committed to God? Because you get the impression from this passage of Scripture that had Naaman just kind of played in the shallow end of the river, he would have missed the power of God. Had he just dabbled, as we might say today, in Christianity? Had he just kind of been kind of casual and passive in his commitment to God's work in our world today through the church? He might have missed it. The, the, the point I'm, I'm making is this. Naaman made the decision to do everything that God had given him to do. He set his expectation of how it would go aside, and he was willing to take the plunge. Now, one of the beauties of just coming in, eating a barbecue sandwich, saying a few words, and getting in my car and going home in a moment is, is I don't really know exactly who it is I'm speaking tonight, but maybe there are some here in this room, and you've never come to the point in your Christian life where you've been willing to take the plunge. You've never come to the point in your Christian life where you're willing to put your expectations of how your life was going to go aside side and say, God, really, all I want to do now is know your word and your will, and I want to do what you say. God, if you tell me to jump in a Jordan River, I'm going to fully jump, immerse myself, dip myself in that river seven times. Sometimes Christians hit a rough patch and they think, that's it, I've had enough. That's always very sad, but you know what's also sad? Perhaps more sad? When a Christian hits a rough patch and they think, maybe I should do more. I should do more. It's as though we think that, well, God's just looking for my effort here. Maybe if I do enough work, then God's grace will be abundant in my life. Well, the reality is grace, by definition, means it goes to the undeserved. If you could deserve grace, you would no longer be someone who could receive it. 
So we can't possibly do enough to receive God's grace. Paul made it clear in Titus 3. He said, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Guys, we can't work our way into a good standing with God. It's not more effort God's looking for. It's obedience. Why obedience? Because obedience is a representation of faith. You see, we only believe as much of the Bible as we practice in our lives. We could say, I believe the word of God from cover to cover. I even believe the cover when it says Holy Bible. But if we don't do that which the Bible says, it's questionable whether or not we believe what is held within the Scriptures. There's a joy and a peace that comes to the life of those who just commit their lives to God and say, God, whatever your word says, I'm in. I'm in. That's what I want to do is what your word says. I think of David, the great heart he had for God. In Psalm 119.33, he said this to the Lord, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes. That's his word. He said, And I shall keep it unto the end. I love that. He didn't just say, I'll keep it. And he said, Lord, I'll keep it to the end. His heart said, God, whatever it takes, you've got me, all of me. Victory does not come when we come up with a crafty plan and then find a way to get God on board with what we're doing. Again, I don't want to be unkind tonight, but so much of modern-day, contemporary American Christianity is this mindset that you can just name what you want and then claim it, and somehow you can put God in a position where he'll be obligated to work for you. That's not the way it works at all. Victory in the Christian life is determining, God, what is it that you would have me to do? And God, I will serve you with all of my life. Come what may, it's not about my expectations. It's about your will being accomplished in my life. You see, victory in the life of a believer comes when we echo the words of Jesus who prayed not my will but thine be done. We have to eliminate our expectations. And then finally tonight, we must be open to a deeper discovery. We need to be open to a deeper discovery. Now, Naaman did well here. He was uncovering that which had been covered. He even came around and did well eliminating his expectations. He learned to obey God's word. But he went home a changed man in more ways than he ever imagined when he came to town. Things were different in ways he never even imagined. Sometimes we learn what we thought was our problem, and what we learned really is what we thought was our problem was a symptom of a much deeper problem. It happens all the time. Pastor, I'm dealing with this problem in my life, and after a conversation you find out, oh, that's just a fruit. There's a root down here. So he came in with a fruit issue. Naaman, what's your problem? He'd say, well, I have leprosy. God said, that's the least of your problems, buddy. That's not a problem at all. There's a deeper problem. You see, Naaman thought he needed new skin. And God knew Naaman needed a new heart. It's like we read of in Ezekiel 36. The Lord said, a new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. Naaman was a man who worshipped in pagan temples. He, he worshipped in Rimmon, the house of Rimmon. But, but in the course of, of dealing with this problem, he made a deeper discovery about God. Before he could leave town, he went back to the prophet Elisha. And in verse 15, we read this. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold. Now I'm going to read on, but that word behold is... Look here. That wasn't a wasted word. That's not just old English to make it more 
poetic or colorful here. This was a man that had something to say. And, and so he's saying here uh, to the prophet of God, look here, behold, look here. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And you know, that's all God wanted him to know. God allowed an amazingly difficult situation in this man's life to put him through a process that brought him out the other end where he headed into it thinking he knew it all. He came to terms with the reality. He didn't know anything. And he came out the other end knowing the only thing that we absolutely must know in the course of life, that there is no God like our God. And God was kind enough in that process to let Naaman go through an experience where he thought, it's all over here. Years ago, I served at a church in Tennessee, and I'm so very grateful for my pastor. He, he taught me a lot. And uh, I, I remember in the time I was there, one visitation night, I got to go, and we were going to be partners. I'd, I'd asked him, do you think I could go with you visiting one time? He said, yeah, we can do it one time. He said, get a visit. We'll go together. It was a Tuesday night. And uh, so I had a visitation card from a teenager who'd visited our church. I was a youth director. And I remember we went that night, man, we drove and drove and drove, and we drove from the uh, good part of town to the not-so-good part of town to the bad part of town, and then we went to the part that was worse than that, okay? I think we crossed two sets of tracks getting to where we were going. And uh, I remember we got there, and we walked up these rickety old steps, and uh, you could just smell, uh, you know, unpleasant aromas coming out of this home as we walked up, and and uh, sure enough, we knocked, and, and uh, an older lady answered the door. We walked in, and the young man, we were there to see was there also. And my pastor was just so good with words. He did all the small talk, and, and uh, your pastor knows me well enough to know that's not my gift at all. You know, I don't have the gift of gab. My wife has it so well, so that, that's great, but I don't. And I was just watching my pastor, and I'm like, man, he just knows what to say. Everybody laughs when he speaks. He's just, he's so smooth. And I was just kind of admiring him in that moment. And uh, we finally sat down, and he, he said to the young man, he said, uh, so son, tell me your story. Well, him and his grandmother kind of worked together, and man, it was a sad story. His father was in Texas in prison. His mom had died. He'd bounced around from family member to family member uh, in Texas and uh, got in some trouble. And finally, his family in Texas, they'd had enough, and they shipped him off to a grandmother in Tennessee. And it was, it was an incredibly sad story. And I sat there just, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It was overwhelming the amount that this young man had gone through in his life. And when that boy finished with his part of the story, I remember my pastor very confidently said, and he was so good with words and so smooth and just, he always knew what to say. In that moment, I'm sitting there, my pastor's sitting here, the sad story came from over there, and my pastor very confidently said, well, isn't God good? And I thought, yeah, he's, and I thought, no, wait. Were you not listening to any of this? I didn't hear anything good in there. His mom died. His dad's in prison. None of his family members want him. They shipped him off to a place he didn't even want to be. And you're telling him God is good? And my pastor went on to say, isn't God good that he allowed all of that to bring you to your grandmother's home who would bring you to church so that I can now tell you about Jesus? About 25 minutes later, that young man bowed his head. He prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as as his Savior, and I think we would all agree, yeah, God, God is good. Life can be difficult, no doubt about it, but God is good. 
sometimes we think we need so many things when what we need is really much deeper. We have a God who is supremely interested in our matters of the heart. Those things that only God can do for us. This young man's life that we talked to was tragic in so many ways, but my pastor was right for all the difficulties he'd faced. He was blessed, not just with a a loving home he could live in in that moment, but to know that he had the promise of an eternal home, a heavenly home with a heavenly father who would never abandon him or tire of him. Naaman's entire dilemma was an occasion for him to come to know God in a personal way. And what's interesting to me about this is the fact that Naaman is one of the best pictures in all of the Old Testament for salvation. Think of it. He had an incurable disease that was going to eat his life away. What a better picture of sin than that. And that was his plight. No amount of worldly fame or notoriety could take it away. He had to come in humble faith and trust the Lord for physical salvation. And similarly, we all deal with sin. And God sees our needs ultimately first as heart needs. The the fruit issues, he can take care of all that. He he wants us in moments of crisis and of transition and uncertainty to, to come to him. If you don't know the Lord... That's where it begins. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, well, I I know the Lord. Great. Know this. He doesn't waste any moment in our life. They all are to serve the purpose to help us come to know him more and to grow, to see nuances to his character we'd never seen before. And God is kind enough at times and on occasions to use even difficulty for the purpose of developing his children. We have to come clean to the Lord. And in so doing, he always does that work of cleaning us. Now, I want to be clear. I don't, I don't want to appear tonight as though I'm saying that every difficulty we face in life is our fault. A lot of the difficulties I encounter in life are my fault. <laughs> Maybe you'd say something similar. But we also have those times where we go through things, and it was just, we were there. Someone would say we were a victim of circumstance, but, but the point we all understand is there are those things that happen to us. And, and tonight, my, my point isn't exactly to deal with the front end of that. It's to deal with the second part of that, the back side of it. And, and whether we created the mess or it's a mess that we stepped into, not of our own making, what we need to understand tonight is what happens next is going to be based on how we handled what's right in front of us. Naaman had to go through a difficult season in life so he could come out the other end of it and say, man... I thought I knew it all. I realized I knew nothing. But now I know. Now I know. God, he's changed my life. Friends, I want to say tonight, I don't know if you're in a difficult season, coming out of one, just getting ready to head into one, you don't even know it yet. Know this. When that time comes, don't waste any time at all. Go to God. Go to God. I heard someone say years ago when they were growing up, they used to get spankings when they got in trouble. And they would uh, bend over and those swats would come, you know. And he said he realized in that moment if he would just take a half step back in between each swat, that was less space for the paddle to travel, took a little sting (laughs) off it. Sometimes when God's disciplining us, we want to run from him. No, that's the time to step into him. He's a God of love. He does nothing for our harm. It's all for our good. He doesn't punish his children. The wrath of God was poured out on God the Son. He corrects his children. That's never anything to be feared. Sometimes we're going through things in life and our heart's broken every which way it could possibly be. And in that moment, God's arms are always open. 
When we look to him, he's thinking, I wondered how long it would take you to look to me. And Naaman was a man who had a lot of needs, but he realized that the ultimate need he had would be discovered when he came to know who God was. And for those tonight that know the Lord, our victory comes as we continue to grow in our understanding of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.